0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 250 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Omnipod, Dancing for Diabetes, and Dexcom. You can go to dancing4diabetes.com, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, or myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. Welcome back, everyone. Today on the program... Carly. Now Carly has had type 1 diabetes since she was a child. She's on the program today to talk about a number of different things. An eating disorder, how it develops, and how she got past it. The role her parents played in her diabetes care. Some of the organizations that she reached out to as an adult. A hypoglycemia study she's involved in. I came super close to calling this episode 1 plus 1 equals turtle. But instead, I present to you Everything doesn't have to be perfect. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. And to always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. One last thing. I listened to the emails and the messages and there are t-shirts available. Again, just go to juiceboxpodcast.com. Scroll down. You'll see a big image. that says merch on the front. When you get to that link, You'll see the new podcast logo with Be Bold on the back. A t-shirt that says Stop the Arrows. One that says Bold with Insulin. Mugs, flip-flops, bags, stickers. There's so much to choose from.
1: Hi, my name is Carly, and I'm from Minnesota, and I'm a 23-year-old diabetic of 15
0: years Okay, so 23. So you're still in college?
1: Um, no, I actually graduated in May.
0: You just got done. Okay. And for 15 years, so since you were how old?
1: Um, is the math I'm at? Seven? Seven, I think.
0: I was trying to get out of doing the math and I thought you would just know. <laughs> so you're diagnosed at seven years old. And is this something that your parents were involved in most of the time?
1: Um, initially, yes. When, um, I was seven, they did most of the taking care. Mm -hmm. And then I would say probably once I started giving myself my own shots, when I was like 12, it kind of just got handed mostly off to me.
0: So from seven to 12 and beyond, tell me a little bit about what the idea of, of managing a day looked like to you. Like, were you trying to keep your blood sugar at eighty five were you trying to keep it anywhere? Was it all over the place? Did you not track it that tightly? What kind of technology were you using? Give me the a big overview of of what your day was like
1: yeah so when i was um when I was first diagnosed, it was kind of like yeah I stayed with within eighty to 180 um and first of all, I was terrified of insulin shots and um, I would not do them myself when I was first diagnosed so I would um I didn't want insulin at school at all so I would do the long acting in the morning and then have obviously fast acting in the morning too. And I'm not really exactly sure how it worked, to be honest, because I didn't get insulin shots at school at all, but I was still able to eat lunch. So I think, and I would test my blood sugar and be, you know, within 80 to 180. And if I wasn't, then my mom would come give me a correction.
0: Dancing for com, Dancing, the number four, com.
1: When I got home, at the end of the day, I was still in normal blood sugar. So to be honest, I don't really know exactly what insulin I was on that allowed me to do that.
0: As you, um, were, I, as you were saying that, does it start sounding screwy to you? Because Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> and, and it's funny how at the time you were just like, this is what we're doing. So you didn't want to give yourself an injection at that age and there was no one at school to do it or you didn't even want anybody at school to do it?
1: I, did, I would only let my mom do it. So I didn't want anyone at school doing it. And I think I was also still honeymooning, and I I know I honeymooned for quite a while because I did not have a whole lot of insulin for the first probably two years of diagnosis. Okay. So maybe that was after that. My whole elementary school, though, I didn't get shots at school. So yeah, I must have just been, um, I was probably high after lunch and just, I got home and I was fine.
0: And if you got over 180, your mom would make the trip to the school and she would inject for you?
1: Yeah, usually, yeah.
0: Did that happen frequently in your memory?
1: No, not really. Okay.
0: All right. So I don't think we're ever going to really know how it is you got through your days. <laughs> except, <laughs> yeah. To say, I don't. And that's interesting, right? I
1: should really ask. I should really ask, I don't know how. I just know that that's how it was. And I, um, until middle school, I never even gave myself shots at school. So, yeah.
0: No kidding. And so, and now when you turned 12, did you just magically one day say to yourself, I can do this now? Kind of. It was more
1: I wanted to go to sleepovers and not have to have my mom come and give myself insulin. I remember the first few times I had sleepovers, I would she would come and give me, you know, come super early in the morning and then come super late at night and give me and give me insulin for whatever snacks I was having and stuff. But after you know after a couple times of that, I was like, I want to try to figure this out, so then I. So then I did and that's that's when that started
0: so necessity was the mother of your invention you were just like look i I don't need my mom showing up at these like social events anymore so i'm gonna I'm gonna figure out this needle thing
1: yes yes that's what I that's what I did and um I was terrified of just stabbing myself in the arm with just a like normal injection needle so we had this thing called a shoddy it was like you put the needle into the shoddy and then you just click it and then it it releases the needle without you having to stab yourself.
0: So I've heard of that a little bit, but I've never seen one. And you, but you had, so there was, there's a, a huge phobia going on for you then. Yes, like definitely. Re- really big. And do you feel that way now?
1: Actually kind of, because um I have obviously my insulin pump, but um the Medtronic, but I, the other day at work, my insulin pump came disconnected and I had nothing with me because I just wasn't thinking when I left the house. So I had nothing with me. I luckily work at a hospital. And so one of the nurses was like, well, use the, use the little vial in your insulin pump and then use one of these needles and draw out some insulin and just give yourself some insulin and just kind of keep doing that until you can go home. Cause I was halfway through my shift. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Except for I hate needles. So I was like, can you give me the shot? And she was like, yeah, that's fine, but that's weird that you can't give it to yourself. I was like, yeah, I haven't done this in like 10 years, probably.
0: So I have a couple of thoughts around that. But first, I have to ask you, what, what sort of work do you do at the hospital?
1: I am a nursing aide. I graduated with a degree in biology and I want to go to physician assistant school. Okay. So yeah, so right now I'm just trying to get direct patient care hours and I'm working as a nursing aide.
0: Are you able to give other people injections?
1: No, we are able to, I, test, I do a lot of blood sugar checks, but mm-hmm. I'm not able to give them insulin.
0: So so the rules don't allow you to. If the rules allowed you to, do you feel like you could do it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I have, Um, I mean, I have gone to diabetes camp and had to give kids shots and I, I can do it to other people. It's just myself. I just, I don't know.
0: No, no, don't, don't be, I, first of all, don't apologize or be embarrassed because I'm, trust me, I'm getting to this for a reason. So, and so when, so when the nurse or somebody who helped you at work that day did it, it didn't hurt, right?
1: No, no, not at all.
0: And so, and you know, cognitively that if you did it, it wouldn't have hurt either. Yes. But there's just something between that thought and the action of doing it. You really are like like stopped by. It's so interesting. How are you with putting your um pump on?
1: That I'm perfectly fine with too, because it's like I just press a button and I. It's I it's so, I think it's the the sight of seeing the needle go in just. I don't know why it freaks me out, but it does.
0: Have you tried turning your head and not looking?
1: <laughs> I I have not done that.
0: Close your eyes, just like like swing it in the direction of your thigh and see what happens. I think there's I could do it. <laughs> I, I think there's a game to be made of figuring out how you're able to do this on your own. Because it sounds to me, <laughs> right? It sounds to me that you are able to do it. There's just whatever the sticking thing is for you, maybe it's visual, like you're saying.
1: Yes, that
0: that that could be. I yes. Uh, Oh, I'm. This is great. I I I, so Arden doesn't. I don't think Arden's ever given herself an injection. Okay. I I honestly don't. And I'm you know to say that we haven't used them in a really long time is you know since she was four probably with any consistency. Um, but I don't think like when she was four maybe she did it a few times. But I don't think if I handed her a needle right now and I was like, hey, do this, I don't think she'd be like, yeah, right on, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely and she can manage her pump fine take her pump on and off and you know and do all that there's there's no problem with that at all
1: yeah I think it's kind of a mind game just like I don't doing it to yourself at least like doing it to other people it's easier but to yourself it's just a mind game
0: what do you think about like like so your mom was like look I'll come to the school and do this for you do you think that if she was just like, "Listen, I'm not coming to the school. You're gonna go into the nurse's office and do this." Do you think you do you think you would have done that, or do you think do you feel like you would have been like, "Oh, honey, you're not winning this game. I'm out. They're just gonna send me home." Are you really hard headed? Um, I guess is my question.
1: <laughs> I was stubborn when it came to diabetes stuff, so I would probably have just cried. Then she would have been like, "Okay, I'll come do it." Yeah, I see,
0: I this is, I I hear you. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, when my kids cry, I just like look at them and I'm like, Oh, you're gonna stop, right? Like this has gotta this has gotta end. <laughs> I don't wanna be a part of this. Um, okay, so so I, I just wanted to go through that a little bit because I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel that way. And I'm sure there are people who are giving, you know, injections for people and you know, asking for people to do it that don't want to or feel like they can't. I don't think there's any shame in it. Obviously you're managing, you know, just as well. Um, now now in your note to me. You said that around 12 years old, your parents sort of passed off the care. Like, you you learned how to inject, like you've just gone over. But then that sort of took them out of the loop. So you were now making insulin decisions when you were 12?
1: Yes, basically. Um, I would say maybe not right when I was 12 was I making the decisions in terms of, um, like, how much to give myself. I would still probably ask. Mm -hmm. um, And I wasn't the best at honking carbs, quote-unquote. But um, I... So I think initially it was just kind of they would, you know, my mom would dose them for me and then I would give them to myself. Um, but probably, probably like as soon as for sure high school is when I did make all my insulin decisions, especially because around 13, I got an insulin pump. So that's when I started really making all my decisions.
0: Okay. And so, you know, we're, I don't know if we're burying the lead here or not. So you've at some point in your life developed an eating disorder around diabetes?
1: Yes, um, I would say high school is when that started, and I didn't really even know it was an eating disorder when I first start when it first started. Like I just kind of, I don't, I, I guess like there's no really pinpoint to pinpoint when it started, but you know I just started um putting two and two together that oh I wasn't giving myself a lot of insulin and I, my blood sugars were always high and I was losing weight and then um it just kind of. Yeah, I just kind of went into a downhill spiral after that when I actually started realizing what I was doing. And then into college, it continued until probably my second year of college. But being a bio major, you kind of, well, it's not that I didn't realize before, but being a bio major especially, you realize how bad it is for your body and how how much I wanted to to, to make a change and to be healthy around diabetes.
0: Okay, so let's kind of, if you don't mind, like unpack that a little bit and go through it. So in the beginning... It was just if I left my blood sugar higher, I'd lose weight. That is that was that the yeah. the the starting point.
1: Yes, I think um I think that and also there was also a, a part of it too that I was also uh, very active. I was on track in in on, in dance team and um I didn't want to, I didn't want to go low. I didn't want to have to go low and be not a part of that. So keeping my blood sugar a little bit higher, I was able to obviously not go low. Um, and so initially it wasn't, I was always 400. It was initially, I was just kind of, you know, floating in the high 100s, 200s and being, being okay. But it wasn't, I guess, I guess later on it started being, you know, it would be more higher in the 400s and um, it got even worse.
0: No kidding. Did you, were you not eating, were you not eating because of this or were you eating more? Like what what how did the how what was that piece of it like?
1: I think at the beginning when I again wasn't really realizing what I was doing was making me lose weight, I was kind of not eating as much. I was more the classic eating disorder symptoms of like more anorexic, um just not 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 eating a lot at all. But then once I started realizing that, oh, I just don't take insulin, but I can eat things, then it started being I would eat whatever I wanted to, I just have really high blood sugars. So I guess it was a little bit
0: of both. Did you, did you find yourself in DKA ever?
1: I, I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. I do not know how I was never in DKA. Like I, I probably was in DKA, but I never was, I never was sick enough that I actually went into the hospital. Okay. So I don't know how I never, yeah, never ended up being super sick.
0: And then, and then tell me too when you go to your endo appointments. I'm assuming you were going to reasonably regular endo appointments, right?
1: Mm, no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. That. Yeah. As soon as my parent, my parents, um, my parents are lovely people, but they, um, but they, um, were not pressuring me in terms of diabetes at all. And so I would go. Um, what kind of? I would not go regularly at all. And when I would go, it would be very, I would be very defensive and my endo, you know, kind of knew something was up. Like, obviously I have a, you know, 13A1C, there's something up. Um, and at first, my first endo kind of passed it off as she's, you know, non-compliant she's a teenager, you know, she, she needs to do better control. So let's just try just bolstering a little bit for these meals or whatever. And let's just try it. I don't think he was understanding that I had an eating disorder at all, but then I went to a second endo because my insurance changed. So I had to go to switch to different different endo, basically. Um, and she knew what was going on totally. And she figured me out and kind of told my parents and or my dad, at least, while he was there, um, you know, about possibly that I had any disorder. And I was just totally rebellious against it. I do not. And I freaked out. And then after that, I don't think I went to an endocrinologist for two or three more years okay. because I just didn't. I didn't want to face it.
0: Okay, Carly. So you're saying a lot here. So first of all, I want to thank you because there have been hundreds of people on this show, but only a handful of them ever have to dig into stuff like this. And these are really valuable conversations and you're brave to have it with me. So so first of all, thank you very much.
1: Yes, it's definitely a very important thing to talk about.
0: No, absolutely. It seems like there was a couple of components here, right? The first one was... That your parents weren't exactly dealing with you like, hey, look, this is something we do every three months. We go to the doctor. You get some sort of a whatever the doctor does. They make you know adjustments or suggestions, and mm-hmm. we're going to keep doing this. That that just wasn't um, that just wasn't part of your life, and I'm sure it's not part of a lot of people's lives, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, I was just very um, very defensive about about the whole thing in general, and I think my parents just kind of were like, "Whoa," because I'm not. I'm not a defensive person in any other ways in my life. I'm very, um, I'm just not that kind of person. Um, so when I started being super defensive and just, um, kind of angry about the whole thing, they just kind of stepped back and were like, Whoa, like, I'm sorry. Like, we'll let you handle this. Like,
0: yeah. So there's this, um, if I've mentioned this before, I apologize, but it fits so well here. I spoke at a, a hospital in the recent past and okay. and endocrinologists, the uh, nurse practitioners came up to me afterwards because I had mentioned how I'm involved with Darden's care. And they thanked me when it was over saying that it was very important for the parents in the room to hear that because a lot of parents think that this is just something they don't need to be involved in. Or sometimes mm-hmm. they don't want to be. Or for whatever reason, they distance themselves from the care and leave it on children who are quite honestly too young to really, you know, understand. De-
1: yeah, de- definitely. There's, there's definitely both perspectives. Like the parents, like I see, cause I go to diabetes camp. So I see the, um, the parents that are very like on top of it. And then the other parents are kind of like, Oh, they'll be okay. they will be fine. Um, and some of them, some of them are, some of them are very responsible, but then some of them aren't. And it's just like, I want to help them and be like, you know, just try to, mentor them while they're there. cause I know that they, when they go home, I don't want them to end up like I did and not have, not have as much guidance, which is um, unfortunate.
0: Right. Because somebody said that about you, Oh, she'll be fine. And you weren't fine. And exactly. And, and what you, and now you're only, I don't want to say only 23, but you're only 23. So you, you know, you don't have children you haven't been out in the, in the world in the fight yet, you, you know, so, yeah, um, not yet. right. So, so you're, you may know this through your experience now or, or, maybe don't have the perspective yet, but there are always going to be parenting moments when it's not easy. It's not fun and their kids hate it. And you still have to, you still have to be there and do that thing with them. And, and there's, you know, obviously there are things that kids can avoid when they're in their own time. If they're at school, you know, we're talking about diabetes, but this could be anything. You could be telling your kid, look, don't smoke a jewel and the Mm -hmm. kid still sneaks away and does what they're going to do. But I I think that every time you see that jewel, you still have to be the person who takes it from them and and puts some sort of a consequence in order and and works through it. It's it becomes touchy and scary when it's about a health thing, you know?
1: Exactly. Yes. And I think um, also parents just I guess from my perspective, my parents just didn't want to just didn't want to hurt me. But they didn't realize in the long run that not helping hurt me more.
0: Yeah, They were just trading easier now for worse later. Exactly. Can I ask you, do you have any feeling for what, you, for what would have been valuable from your parents in that moment? Like, what did you need? Consider pod therapy and say goodbye to needles and pens. If you have diabetes and your body requires insulin, you need to know about the Omnipod. It can make your diabetes a smaller and more manageable part of your day-to-day life. People with type 1 or insulin requiring type 2 diabetes along with caregivers of both children and adults with diabetes are choosing the Omnipod because of its simple, smart, and discreet design and functionality. Now there's a lot of claims in there, right? How are you going to know for sure? How do you make a leap like this? It's a big deal. You know, just give up on what you're doing right now just because the guy on the podcast said so? No, I wouldn't expect you to do that. Here's what you can do. You go to my link, it's myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. There's also links in your show notes, in your podcast player, and at juiceboxpodcast.com. So if you can't remember, it, there's places to go to click on it. When you get there, you fill out the tiniest bit of information about yourself. When you do this, Omnipod sends you an absolutely free, no obligation, demo pod. They call it a pod experience kit, comes in a cute little box. That kit allows you to put an Omnipod on your body. I know so many of you that tried the demo pod and are now very happy Omnipod users. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox. The links in your show notes are juiceboxpodcast.com. Get a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod. Try it on today, you see what you think. You like it, you keep going. You don't like it, you don't have to. The choice is completely yours. There's no pressure, no obligation. Absolutely no reason not to just try my com forward slash juice box. Do you have any feeling for what would have been valuable from your parents in that moment?
1: I I think they kind of realized what was going on. So I think I needed someone to just come alongside me and just say, Hey, like, I know that, you know, you're defensive about this, but, um, I, I think that you, if, if you don't want help from us, we need to bring you to an endocrinologist or we need to find another, um, another T1D that's your age that you can talk to or someone because I literally had nothing so just to have that support would be really helpful and um and I, for sure I'm not blaming them at all like for sure like I they understand. um they didn't know what to do like I'm also their only child so like it's not like they've had practice with before
0: right. um
1: and so yeah so I think just taking along going alongside a kid's guidance and just letting them know that you know you're there for them or they can help you find resources. That that could help
0: them. Yeah, they didn't have a practice kid. No, nope. When they could just mess up and go, "Hey, that was our first one. This is not our fault. You were the practice kid." And so, (laughs) yeah, look what they figured out from practice. No more playing. I hear them. Okay, so something. Try something. Try anything. Do something. If that doesn't work, do something else. But don't give up. And I think the message for parents needs to be that just because kids push back doesn't necessarily mean they don't want you there. There might be other reasons why they're pushing back too. And for you, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been your fear of needles. It could have been that you just didn't want to have diabetes, you you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think for for me, specifically, I think it was perfectionism. You know, I wanted perfection and diabetes was not perfection. So if I just ignored it, then it wasn't, it wasn't there. And I could just continue living my life and being perfect in other aspects like, not going low at dance practice, or not going low when I'm trying to study for a test, or whatever.
0: Yeah. How do you end up working your way through something like an eating disorder? Um, and is there are there things that parents can look for in their kids that are kind of hints that something like that's going on, besides the elevated blood sugars and the A one Cs that seem crazy out of whack and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, well, first for things that you can look for, I think um, just Not you know I guess avoiding avoiding food or having specific um, specific things that they want to eat I guess are classic eating disorder signs. Also, kind of being I guess depressed around depressed in general. Obviously, teenagers can be have anxiety and depression, but I think especially around like diabetes and eating. And for me specifically, how I worked through it, I took me a long time to really realize that. Like I said that I even really had an eating disorder, and then after I did, it took me a long time to figure out how to solve it. i didn't I didn't go through classic like treatment going to a treatment facility. I going back, I wish I would have, but in college, I was just like, I'm too busy. I'm gonna figure this out myself. Mm-hmm. And so what really helped me was um I first of all, becoming involved with the College Diabetes Network, I found our chapter at our at the University of Minnesota. And kind of came affiliated with them and then ended up going on a retreat. Uh, They have like a leadership retreat every year where they have leaders from chapters around the country meet together. And for a week, you kind of get to be with all these T1D leaders and learn about about new technology, learn about things that you can take back to your chapter. Um, And that week kind of changed my life. I'm actually, that was two years ago now. Yeah, two years ago in May. And we still have an active group Snapchat that we literally every day is always blowing up with people, you know, sending each other graphs of their Dexcom or whatever, just talking about general things that we're frustrated with, and just having that connection, even though they're not obviously living in Minnesota, having that connection of people um, and constantly talking to them and seeing how they're keeping track of their diabetes really helped me. And also, aside from that, I learned of an organization called We Are Diabetes that is uh, focused on specifically type 1 diabetes and eating disorders. And the founder of that, um, I kind of came in connection with, and she came alongside me um, and kind of mentored me a little bit too. So I think just having, in general, just having connections to diabetes things and being around people that are t- keeping good track of their diabetes really helped me.
0: Yeah, community, right? Just hearing, having, knowing someone else is there, um being able to bounce something off of somebody, showing somebody something that's not perfect and them going, "Oh yeah, that happens to me too." And and that feeling that everything doesn't have to be perfect, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Were you like are you were you like that um in your personality about other things or did that idea of perfection just live in the diabetes space for you?
1: Oh, definitely about other things too, about school, about any sport I participated in, um and yeah, I'm, I'm very um, perfectionist, which has its good qualities, but also its bad quality.
0: I know. I might be married to a person like you. I understand what's going <laughs> on. So a, a lot of this isn't quite right, not quite good enough, like that sort of thing. Does that come, do you think it was a learned behavior? Did somebody show you how to be like that? Or do you think that it's just sort of hardwired?
1: I don't really, I guess I don't really know because my dad is the most easygoing, like fun person in the world. Like everything's a joke to him. And then my mom's not a perfectionist either. She's not as easygoing as my dad, but she's definitely not, um, not a perfectionist. So I don't really know. It must be hardwired from, from past, something. past relatives or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, it's interesting. Cause I know from my wife, it's, it's a family trait, you know, like it's definitely something that, you know, um, is in the genes. And, uh, so I was just wondering, but that's, that's super interesting. Okay. So you, you get yourself on a better path and you do that through, it sounds like through community and support and everything, which is, which is fantastic. Did you have any, um, lasting medical effects from the disorder and is it something you still fight with today? You know, what does maintenance look like?
1: Yeah. Um, I actually do not have any lasting, well, aside from um, my vision, you know, I had 2020 vision before this all happened and I have glasses now, but that could have been from, that could be from not having good diabetes care or just other things in general. So, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like I have terrible vision. I just have to wear glasses. Um, but other than that, I really have no, no residual effects from it. Okay. And it's definitely still, it's, Still present, Um, not like, not anything like it was, but I would say um, in terms of like fear of going low overnight, like, which I don't know, it's not necessarily an eating disorder thing anymore. It's just that I'm so used to not going low overnight that like I freak out um, when I go to bed below 120, I would say like, I'm like, I need to eat something before I go to bed because I don't want to wake up low. And I think that's just because for years and years, I was used to that. Yeah. It's definitely become much better. And I would say actually listening to your podcast has helped a lot because this summer, um, every time I would go out for a walk or whatever, I would listen to your podcast and listening to other people kind of have the same issue where they don't want to bump and nudge and, um, go a little bit, have their blood sugars run a little bit lower, um, kind of inspired me.
0: I'm good. I'm glad that's excellent. Um, uh, so hearing other people's stories got you kind of like revved up and you and how did you put that into, like once you had that momentum and you were feeling like, hey, I would like to do something more like what I'm hearing about other people saying, what's the first step to that? It's got to be the overnight stuff, right? Like that's got to be your biggest fear, I would imagine, because you do you live by yourself.
1: Um, I don't right now. I did when I was in college, in college. but now I am um, live back with my parents until. Until I find another place.
0: <laughs> no, please. I would stay there as long as I could if I was you. I would. I would. I'm all for someone paying my rent still if someone wants to show up and do it. So don't don't rush around for that. Plus, you sound like you have bigger plans. So just you know, as long as they yes. think you're moving towards something, I'm sure they'll leave you alone.
1: Yes, I would like to. I would like to move out, but <laughs> I will take advantage as long as I can.
0: Yeah, good for you. Um, plus, you're in Minnesota. I mean, most half of the year can even go outside anyway. What's the difference? It's just like a, like a meat locker there, right?
1: Okay, well, kind of, yeah. Today it's, today it's hitting the 20-degree level, I think, so it's kind of warm outside, but...
0: It's 20 degrees. Listen to what she just said. It's 20 degrees. It's kind of warm. You live in a place where you can walk on a lake. Just let's stop, okay? It's, uh, it's not natural. But, but, but seriously... But you can also ice skate. Ice skate. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. I know. Please, I was... My brother lives in Wisconsin, told me when he moved there, because he, you know, he's from where we're from. And he's like, uh, guys I work with invited me to go ice fishing. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and he explained it to me. And I'm like, are you going to do it? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know how I can't. Like, we all work together. He went one time. He's like, it was insane. Um, you know, he's like, he's like, they they lit a fire on the top of the lake. And I was like, right. And he goes, it just burned. Nothing happened. It's like nine feet of ice. <laughs> It's like, come home. Where, I
1: could see how, how that could seem really weird to someone that's never done that before.
0: Yeah, yes. yeah you're darn right it is. <laughs> but so so when you make, so let me, I guess, let me ask you this. Prior to coming out of high school and you're in, you know, you come to college and you find the College Diabetes Network and you find yourself some, you know, stability, where are you at like A1C, you know, average blood sugar wise in college? Like what were your goals, like day-to-day goals and, and how did they end up? like kind of grading out, I guess, at the end of the three months, although someone's going to get really mad that I said grading out, but it's a term just, we'll all be fine. Keep Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I think the first, first year of college, um, I definitely didn't go to the end of it at all. So I don't know what it was. It was probably still 12, 13. Mm-hmm. Um, second year of college started when I actually kind of started trying to figure stuff out. So um, when I went in, I think the first time it was like 9.6 or something like that. Okay. Um, And then recently um, I guess, the third year of college into fourth year of college, um, I got it down into eight, and then last time I went in, it was seven, um, which was at the beginning or when I got back from um Vanderbilt, so that was like, I guess the end of the summer. Congratulations! Um, so and I'm going in next month. So,
0: oh, so good. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's you should be incredibly proud of yourself. I'm sure you are, but you don't need me to tell you that. But, but that's a really amazing accomplishment in a very short amount of time on your own coming from where you came that's that's spectacular and you don't shy away from food and you don't you don't overeat to avoid lows and all that sort of going
1: yeah yeah i definitely um am someone that since i do kind of strive for perfection i do kind of eat only regimented or not reg- certain things because i know how to bowls for them but i'm definitely expanding my horizons in terms of figuring out how to bowl for other things
0: good for you well, this is very exciting. Now, listen, I think it's important to say to people listening that I think Carly's story is shocking. Like, if you don't live this life, or if these things have never kind of, you know, crept up in your life, I, I would see where hearing them might be like, wow, that's insane. But I don't think that your story is that uncommon, Carly. I- you know, yeah. I-, I don't at all. And have you met other people who are in a similar situation? I know, I don't know if you have or not, but I'm just interested in like a diabetes camp
1: so it's kind of interesting because i have not like specifically met i've like through we are diabetes like i've talked to like the founder who had um eating disorder and i have I guess um met multiple people um at the College diabetes network that that kind of went through eating disorder phase but not like not extreme Mm -hmm. um but it is interesting because i do work at the hospital and i see so many people that are around you know between the ages of 18 and 25 that come in with CKA. Um, and obviously not all of them have eating disorders, but a lot of them are not. Some of them you can kind of just tell, do. And I just want to, like, I know as my, at my position, I can't step up and be like, Hey, like, I want to help you. I don't, but um, it's frustrating that I can't say anything, but I do see a lot of people at the hospital that, um, that are going through that same thing. So it kind of makes me realize that, yeah, my story is not, there, it, a lot of people are going through this.
0: Right. And I think that, that goes for most people, like whatever it is that your story is around diabetes, it is probably not so dissimilar from other people, and it just I think we hmm. hi somebody put it to me i'm trying to figure out a way to say something. Somebody put something to me one way recently that i I didn't know hundred percent what to make of it, but they they said, I would bet that people who listen to your podcast are either the people who are you know really quote unquote good at it. Or the people who are really struggling and hoping to get good at it, and I was like, "Well, isn't that everybody? Like, 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 yeah. aren't there just variations of that in between?" But still, but still, I think that when I hear you talk, I can sit here and think, "Well, this could easily happen to my daughter, right? Like, this could absolutely easily happen to her, and she—you wouldn't think that would be common, you know, for her situation. But who knows what goes on once she takes over her own." you know, care a little extra. And, and I think this is just, I think it's just incredibly kind of you to offer your experience so that everybody can, can kind of look up and say, I wonder what, what's going on in my life that maybe I should be paying more attention to, or what does my kid need that I may be acting like, Oh, they're fine. And maybe they're not, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's why I want to, I want to share my story and I want to um, let other people know that. Cause yeah, when they, when they hear that other people are going through the same thing. I, I wish I wish I when I was going through it I would have had resources like this or someone hear someone else's story and been like, Wow, that's me. Like I need to I need to try to, you know, reach out and try to figure figure out how to handle things. Yeah.
0: So so okay, so let's talk a little bit about like today. Like in the, you know, right now in, in now time. Now time, which is not a phrase <laughs> commonly used in published at all. What would that be called? The present. There we go. Unbelievable. <laughs> Maybe Words are I, hard maybe I've done too many of these podcasts I just said now time um, <laughs> it's making me laugh so you have a pump now uh glucose monitor yes, or no? yes I have a
1: pump um I have a pump right now I have the Medtronic 670 and the um the sensor I really d- don't like it um I have so I'm actually on a clinical trial right now for. Not for a glucose monitor or anything, but I'm wearing a Dexcom for the clinical trial, and I'm in love with it, that it connects to my phone and that it connects to my Apple Watch. It's amazing. So I'm going to try to switch to a Dexcom, but I am currently on Medtronic.
0: Oh, Medtronic people. You must be so sick of turning on this podcast and hearing people say, I don't (laughs) like my Medtronic CGM. But you had no choice. You live in Minnesota, which I believe is the headquarters for Medtronic, isn't aren't they? There?
1: Yes, it is. So, literally every when you go to the endo here, everyone up until like probably a year ago, everyone had Medtronic. Now they're kinda of figuring out that maybe Medtronic is not the best. But um up until yeah, up until a year ago, like literally every kid I we didn't even know what like tandem was or Dexcom was.
0: How hard, how difficult could it be? To trick a person who thinks that spending a day standing on a frozen lake fishing through a hole is a good idea, right? Like, it must be so – it just has to be so easy. Like, it just, hi, this is the only insulin pop in the world. Oh, it is? Thank you very much. And then you just take it. What, it probably has a sticker on the box that says, won't freeze during ice fishing, which then oh. – Right makes everybody there go. Oh, this is this is the best insulin pump. It it won't freeze. It's the perfect insulin pump. Yeah, I'm <laughs> walking on water. Uh, so, but no, no, I, I didn't know that. I just you know, I, I know I, it's, it bears saying every once in a while in a couple episodes. I didn't ask you what kind of pump you had when you came on. You know, you offered that information up. I didn't know you were currently using a Dexcom on a trial. Uh, but this is totally where I'm going to put the Dexcom at right here. Yesterday, I took Arden and two of her friends to a small shopping district nearby our home. Dropped them off so they could have a nice day together. Arden was armed with a few things. An Omnipod insulin pump, a juice box, her meter and test strips, but only one thing made the entire trip simple. It was the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor and its ability to share Arden's blood sugars with me, remotely. I just dropped them off and left. Kicked them right out of the car. I was like, yeah, get out of here. Go have fun, you crazy kids. As Arden was getting out of the car, I said, look, I'm not sure if walking around in this heat is gonna bring your blood sugar up or down. As soon as we see what's going on, we'll make a decision. Her blood sugar was 91 at that moment. The walking around actually, can you guess, drove her blood sugar up a little bit. So she used her Omnipod, put up a little temporary basal rate, continued on with the day. Then they went to a restaurant for lunch where Arden had macaroni and cheese and salad. We were bolusing. And when we missed on the bolus a little bit, we were able to put in more insulin. Why? Because the Dexcom showed us the direction and speed of her blood sugar. It showed us that we missed a little bit with her meal insulin. So we put in more. Now, the more almost helped. We got it to 150 and it leveled off. And just as it leveled off at 150, what did Arden want to do? Well, her and her friends found a cupcake shop. We were able to bolus us at the 150 aggressively enough. Keep in mind, these are our results and yours may vary, but Arden's blood sugar did not go up during the cupcake from the 150, but down, settling in again in the mid-80s. All of that, I'm going to talk right past the music. All of that is because of the functionality of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Direction, speed of your blood sugar. Super important. Just as important, the ability for her blood sugar to be shared with a loved one. In this case, me. You want to make good decisions about your diabetes? Start with this one. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash box and get the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Tell me about the trial you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So it's, um, it's really interesting actually. So it's about people that have hypoglycemia unawareness. And, um, and recently as I have started, um, getting my blood sugars in better control, I will go out for a run and also wearing my sensor. I started to realize this I'll go out for a run and literally drop into the forties, um, and not even, not even realize it and then get back and um, be like, Oh, I'm low. And so I've heard of this clinical trial that they're doing. It's measuring basically people that have hypoglycemia unawareness it's measuring their their brain activity when their glucose does go really low and they think that type 1 diabetics have some sort of compensation or something going on in their in their brain cells that are um, making it so their brain kind of says you know you go low all the time so we're just not going to give the normal normal awareness signs you know the shakiness the um feeling sweaty and stuff because it happens all the time and i feel like we don't need to freak out about this huh so, so yeah. So they basically put you. They put four IVs in you, um, one in both of your feet, one in both of your hands, and put you in an MRI machine and drop your glucose really low, and measure your brain activity, and see if there's anything funky going
0: on. And Carly, for this, you're being paid one million dollars a day. Is that correct? Because that's I think <laughs> what I would charge to do that.
1: <laughs> I think it's like I think it's compensation of like five hundred dollars a day. So it is quite a bit. Huh?
0: Fancy. And in Minnesota, that's like fifteen hundred. Right. Yes. I'm yes. Just kidding. Minnesota is a lovely place. I, anywhere cold, really, you're going to hear me speak poorly about. It. I just don't like the cold. It's all it
1: crazy. is very. It's a lovely. But it has beautiful falls, beautiful um summers, and beautiful springs. But yes, the winter is a bit. Is a bit cold.
0: Yes, my brother in Wisconsin says, "Come out and visit, see the lakes." To which I respond, "No," and then that's how that ends. <laughs> the lakes. We have beautiful lakes. I'm sure you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you gotta come in the you gotta come in the fall. I that's think that's what the I hear. time.
0: One day. I mean, I'm just trying to get him to move home. it's been a decade. I'm pretty sure he's not coming. But uh I, I thought if I withheld my delightfulness he'd have to come back for it. But I don't I don't think it's
1: going that way. <laughs> he's not catching on to that?
0: No, not at all. Um that that's uh he doesn't love my mom. I think that's what, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we tease him about it sometimes. I'm like, Oh, you know, if you loved mom, you'd come home and live here. And he's like, this is where my job is. I'm like, ah, is it? But but it actually is. He doesn't deserve that. Um, he's a really nice person. Anyway. Uh, so you're on this study, which is insane, but that's very nice. It's a nice thing you're doing for other people. Plus you might get some answers for yourself. It's incredibly interesting that you're hearing that it's possible that people who experience a lot of low blood sugars might have a mechanism that tells them, like, look, don't feel like this. Because your body yeah. because your body spent a long time at elevated blood sugars. So it mm-hmm. really adapted to that space. How long this is um something I'm 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 interested to know. After you brought your blood sugars down to a more reasonable place, you didn't even feel it then at that moment, like in the beginning, like, like coming um, from like a 200 all the time down to a, you know, a hundred all the time, that didn't make you feel oddly?
1: I think it was very gradual. Um, I didn't like, it wasn't like every day I'd be at normal blood sugars. I was kind of, you know, back and forth. So I think it didn't really hit me that hard. Um, I think maybe, maybe the actual lows did, like I was not used to going low. So, you know, if I was below 70 at all, like I was shaky, like not, I could not function at all. Um, but eventually, yeah, that kind of disappeared. And I now sometimes can't feel my, feel my lows.
0: Wow. And, and, but you've never become incapacitated. Never. No. So you're functioning. Do you look back and think, huh? I wasn't as cognitively sharp as I thought I was in that moment. Or does that not even change?
1: Um, Like when I'm like running and I'm Yeah, like
0: say say you go for a run and you're low. Do you look back like an hour later and think, oh, I just, as I was running, I thought one plus one equals turtle or or, like nothing. I
1: guess, I guess not because I'm not really like, I'm just more like have my music playing or listen to a podcast or something. So I usually, usually I don't have to think too hard. So I guess I don't, I don't really know. when I get, when I get back home, I definitely can tell because I'll start fumbling around and, you know, being shaky and be like, Hey, I'm probably low. Okay. But yeah, when I'm running, I can't really, I can't really tell.
0: Carly, are you excited that there's a high likelihood your episode is going to be called One Plus One Equals Turtle?
1: <laughs> yes, that sounds like a great <laughs> great name.
0: We're <laughs> Turtle Math. Maybe t- we'll figure it out. Don't worry, but something's going to happen. I said I just said that. I wish you could all live in my head for a minute. I just said that, and I thought inside my brain, I thought I've never had that thought before in my entire life. Like, how did that just come out just now? <laughs> That's why people like the podcast. Who knows what I'm going to say? I don't even know. God knows if any of this diabetes stuff is even correct. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's very true. You caught me in a good day. I'm a little giddy today, Carly. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to everyone who's made it this far into the episode. Uh, okay, so right now you said you have you have an A1C sort of in the 8-ish range that you're bringing down slowly. Which, by the way, I like the... um. I like the slow approach too, like not getting crazy and just going nuts. How's your variability? Like, are you bouncing around as much, or are you? I guess at a seven A one C, are you like very stable around like one forty, one fifty most of the day, or how does how does how does that work? I
1: would say, um, again, it really depends upon the day, but I would say I'm pretty stable. Um, I don't have a whole lot of dropping. When I first, I will say when I first started working at the hospital, though, um, it's a lot of a lot of just the entire day, I'm on my feet running around, right. and so I that has gotten me kind of some some ups and downs because you know I'll go low, correct, go high, like just kind of up and down roller coaster. But I'm definitely figuring out my basal a little bit more, a little bit more now. And actually, that is one thing that I do use the um the 674 is it figuring me out at work and figuring out how to change my basal rate because I didn't even know, and it has been kind of helpful for that.
0: Is that the, is this, is it the 670? Is that the one that does the, is it like an artificial pancreas type one? Is, yes. it, yeah. Yeah. The auto the, mode. Oh, it has auto
1: mode. Yeah. Which I, I, at first was very frustrated with and did not like, but after realizing that it could help me at work, I kind of,
0: kind of like it a little bit more. It's interesting. But it, the, it targets your blood sugar for what? Like where, where does it set at? Do you know?
1: So I have it set, I have it set at the lowest setting, which I believe is like, I think it's like 70 to a hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it will sometimes be okay with me being, you know, 140, 150 even sometimes, which can get frustrating because then you end up eating fake carbs because you can't give yourself just like little micro so that you have to pretend like you're eating something um, just to try to micro it to get you a little bit lower.
0: You're tricking the pump.
1: Yeah, which it- then might end... I'm sorry. sorry. go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say. I guess that's fair. It's tricking you. I told you it was gonna keep you between seventy and a hundred, and you're one fifty. So I guess it's fair if you trick it back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Into that because they get they get frustrated with me. Like you can't do that. I'm like, well, it's it, well. Then what am I supposed to do? Because it, it's really annoying that I, you know, could potentially be in the lower 100s right now and it's keeping me at 150. Like, it's
0: annoying. Right. I know this is the official insulin pump of Minnesota, but it's not doing a good job for me and I have to figure something else.
1: It's <laughs> not erecting Minnesota very well. Yeah, no.
0: we And and no, exactly. That's not fair to Minnesota. Th- at all. You guys made a wrestler a governor. You know that, right?
1: <laughs> yes. It's Ventura or something like that. Yeah,
0: I'm just saying. As you know, maybe it is fair to Minnesota is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, um, a conspiracy theorist now who lives on a beach in Mexico because he doesn't want to be in the country near what I'm assuming oh. are the people who are coming to get him. So I think you guys did a great job um, uh, sussing that one out and, uh, you know, onward and upward. But um,
1: Oh, goodness. Anyway, yeah, let's just ignore G- that part of our history. Jesse the
0: body venturer. <laughs> that, that, that was his name. Uh, yeah, he's a little he's, – he's, I'm sure he's fine but maybe he's just saying those things to get attention and have a television show. But I think he's one of those people who believes any crazy thing you might think he, he's pretty sure it might be true. So, um, uh, good for him. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so, okay. So you're using that pump with the, you know, the auto mode, uh, it automatically keeps your blood sugar at 150. and then you, so I get what you're saying though. So you pretend you're eating, so it'll give you insulin, so it'll bring you down. Yes. But then that isn't, they're telling you you can't do that because that throws off the algorithm, which yes. I got gotcha. you. But what you're yes, saying they, is you better hope that this Dexcom doesn't hook up to a pump to make a different algorithm, buddy, because I'm getting out of here one way or the other. And,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. My, I, I guess there is a way to like hook up the Dexcom to the mm-hmm. old Medtronic and like make your own artificial pancreas or something like that.
0: Yeah, you just got out of my space. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> what are some of the things... You're looking forward to, I mean, with your own health as well as like, you know, with your life. Like, I mean, you must feel like you're on a completely different path than you've been on so far.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, I want to go to PA school and I want to specialize in endocrinology. Um, and be and work with people with um diabetes. Um, I actually um, yeah, I think my whole career path changed after kind of getting in control of my diabetes of wanting to somehow go into healthcare and help those that have diabetes. And I think realizing um, that PAs have more time to spend with their patients and how, you know, you always go to the endo and they're kind of, you know, you get your A1C and they don't have much time to sit down with you. I feel like the PA that I work with at my clinic, just I, you get more time to work with them and sit down and you kind of get time for them to kind of say, hey, what's going on here? You know, let's, Look at your, look at your graphs and stuff, whereas, um, more like a CDE kind of role, whereas, um, and those don't. So I think that's, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to be able to possibly go into that as my career.
0: Are you getting better at that? Like for yourself, are you able to start looking at your graphs and really figure about like, oh, I think this is that. And I'm at this point now, I just look and I'm like, oh, I know what this means. And I can adjust it in like two seconds. And like just, yeah. That, I, I think, are you getting to that point?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, but also I think I still have so much variability in in my day to day activities that I still kind of still am figuring out a little bit, but I'm definitely getting better at being able to look at it and be like, you know, you were whatever, like you this, you were now two hundred, you know, you could have bowled for this a little bit earlier and, you know, maybe one more unit and it would have been would've been better. Um but that. definitely in terms of like running and stuff because I do um I do run quite frequently and um that that's a little bit more of a challenge for me in figuring out exactly. I, it, it seems like it varies from day to day, what my blood sugars do, no matter what I do for that. So I've still heard, figuring that
0: out. I've, so I've heard, um, and, and I'm not a hundred percent the right person to talk about this with, but I've heard some people talking about if they, they, they tried to get the insulin completely out of themselves before activity, like before working out, meaning that yes, they haven't that, like, right. Haven't had like an active bolus. There's no active bolus, even the end of one. And that they can kind of work out forever without their blood sugar kind of dropping from that. Um,
1: yes, that is something that I have figured out that if I have any insulin on board, I'm going to plummet. No matter if I had, you know, a thousand carb breakfast, well, not a thousand, but a huge breakfast, um, it wouldn't matter. Like if I have any insulin on board, I'm just going to plummet no matter what. So I have to um, wake up. If I want to work out before work, I just have to wake up super early and both for whatever I'm eating and, um, you know, then and then go work out. Um, or just eat something that has more protein and not a lot of carbs and eat that and then just not have to bowl because if I have insulin I'm just gonna plummet and not be able to not be able to finish my run.
0: Well, uh this is a little unfair to you, Carly. I'm sorry because we got a little bit of a late start because of me, but my schedule is super tight today. So I have to ask you if there is anything we did not talk about that you wanted to that I forgot.
1: I don't think so. I think we kind of hit everything.
0: I'm pretty good at this. Like, <laughs> yes, you are.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yours I could tell, like you were you were, by the way, congratulations. I don't know if you've ever been on a podcast before. Nice and chatty. I liked it. And oh, well thank you. Yeah, no ummon. You knew what you were gonna say. You got right to it. You spoke about it. Like you're obviously an incredibly bright person. And so I was like, This is great. I'm just gonna sit back and say stupid things about Minnesota unfairly. <laughs> So, um,
1: no, thank you. I was, yeah, I was very nervous about what exactly I was going to say. I was like, I'm just going to go for it and just, you know, we'll do it.
0: Were you happy that that went that way? Because you emailed me and you were like, what should I be preparing for? And I'm, of course, no help. Anyone who's ever been in your position knows that I just emailed back. I'm like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> some people, that doesn't really work for their personality too well. So, uh, but you, you really did, um, you went from what are we going to talk about to, don't worry about it to doing a really great job. So I I genuinely appreciate you taking this time like this. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Dancing for Diabetes has a new space they're working on. They just completed the demolition portion of the construction process. you got to go check it out. It's very exciting. Dancing4diabetes.com or on their Instagram or Facebook pages to see those pictures. Huge thank you to Carly for coming on the show and bearing her soul on so many important topics. Thank you also to Omnipod, Dexcom, and of course, Dancing for Diabetes for their support of the podcast. I do want to give you two other things here that Carly mentioned during the show. WeAreDiabetes.org is the organization that Carly mentioned. They're not sponsors, but it seemed to be very helpful to her. So I think you should check them out. WeAreDiabetes.org. And it comes up a lot on the show, especially with college-age students, but the College Diabetes Network is at CollegeDiabetesNetwork.org. Also, don't forget the 1 millionth giveaway celebration is underway for the podcast. That is right in August of 2019 the Juicebox Podcast, thanks to you, will reach 1 million total downloads. And I wanted to celebrate with you in a way that you didn't have to do anything. It's a giveaway that you don't have to do anything to enter. So go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down until you see the little thing for the 1 millionth celebration, click on it. You'll see all the stuff that's going to be involved in the giveaway. Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes swag. One free item of your choice from myabetic.com. Stay Put Medical is going to give us a gift bag. We'll give you the winner. How about a 30-minute consultation with Jenny Smith? Oh, come on, right? 30 minutes on the phone with Jenny? The winner will also get two new Bold with Insulin t-shirts, which if you want to see right now, just go to juiceboxpodcast.com and scroll down to merch. You can buy them now if you want or try to win the giveaway. And the big prize depending on how you think of it. could be the prize you don't want. You might end up going, hey, Scott, I'll take all the stuff except for this last thing. But if you do win and you are interested, I'm offering one week of unfettered access. You and I can text, call, by phone, FaceTime, whatever you need. Any questions you have for seven days, I'm here to answer them for the winner. The contest is open to everyone there are some limitations for overseas. You'll see when you get the juiceboxpodcast.com, but everyone can play. Everyone can enter. It doesn't cost anything to enter, and you can enter once a day for nothing. You don't have to follow me on something or do anything. I'm not going to make you do anything. You do those things if you want to, but I am not going to make you do something to enter. Just go enter. There was 324. I just logged on. 324 entries so far. And you can enter once a day. So you can get, like, I don't know how many days are left in August. But for every day left in August, you can get an entry. Give yourself a better chance to win. That's pretty cool. I just actually refreshed it. There's 326 entries now. You better hurry up and get over there. Thank you so much for listening to the Juicebox podcast. I hope you guys are having a great summer. hope you really enjoyed this episode. I thought there was a lot of insight into a number of important issues here. One million downloads, new swanky t-shirts. This podcast is really classing up.